Right. We are now recording. Like a, like a dang parent trying to restrict my internet time. Mm. Well, I'm trying to restrict your internet time. Hussein's on those hentai websites again. <laughs> and we're trying to record the podcast. That is art. Leave Hussein, me alone. please stop looking at those tentacles. <laughs> I just wanted to prove to Hussein that tentacle porn was real. I swear. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I look back to a simpler time. Back when everyone could like get together and bond over yeah. over Kurt Eichenwald tweeting a screenshot of Google Chrome that showed a tab that suggested he was looking at tentacle porn. Mm. That was like I'm I'm like nostalgic for that. Back when everything was simpler and nicer. Fuck it. No, you know what? No. I get it. I am now gripped with political nostalgia. I'm ready to embrace any kind of reactionary political project, but only if it takes me back to like the summer of 2017. Millennials are the new boomers. I like that you wouldn't even want to go back to like pre 2016, the real <laughs> prelapsarian briss. No, you you like you like things being a bit fucked up. You like the post Brexit, post Trump thing. 2017 was interesting because it was fucked up. It was fucked up, and everyone cared, right? Whereas I feel yeah, like yeah, now yeah. things are arguably more fucked up. But no, but everyone is just tired, like all the time. And we could all unite over. The over the online antics of people like Kurt Kurt Eichenwald, but now Peter Dow's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Um. Kurt, I mean Kurt Eichenwald's had me blocked for a while, but yeah. now we. It's never that anyone's always talking about the same person anymore. Everyone's mm-hmm. always talking past each other. Social media has never been more divided. We need to go back to 2017. You can you can you can be online and look up like Japanese tentacle porn, um, and people won't bat an eyelid. They'll just be like, well. I, if I do, it's just identity politics. So. Welcome, welcome to TF, the podcast that is the podcast that we do, uh, and you're listening to it now. Wherever you're listening to it, the train, yeah. the toilet, the t- fishmonger, <laughs> the can of wine aisle. <laughs> um, to to what's another, what's another place someone could listen to a podcast starting with T? Um, the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the moon. <laughs> Absolutely, you could be listening. You could be listening on the moon. Yeah, if with so, the lizards. Bring back some of that moon juice for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we are we are here. It's me, Riley, in studio. I'm joined by Hussein. Hello, it's me. Uh, can we pin people by the book? Oh, uh, we can. It's on Amazon. It's on Hive. It's on maybe maybe considering our live show. Go to go on Hive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Buy, buy it on Hive. Buy buy the book. Read the book. Tweet the book at me, and that's it. Mm. How would it take take a picture of yourself doing something fun with the book? Yeah, like you could use it to like you know prop up a microphone, mm. or if you've got like a if you've got like a tin of white wine, you could like put that on the book, and that way you've got like a bit of like leverage. Oh, um, here's a here's a take here's, it to the fishmonger. You can read it on the moon. TF here's the TF challenge, um, for a prize as yet to be unspecified. How about this? Uh, for a for a trash fu- new trash future shirt, you can win a trash future shirt if you take a picture of Hussein's book with a tin of sparkling <laughs> white wine. The tin cannot have sparkling white wine placed in it. It must have be it must be a tin of sparkling oh, white wine. So if, if someone actually put sparkling wine in a tin, that's a lot of effort. That's more effort than just buying one. Right? I want mm. them to find the sparkling white wine yeah. tin. You have to find, track down Riley's fishmonger using that kind of born identity type, analyzing the CCTV kind of shit. Correct. Get there, buy it, 
eat an oyster, read Hussein's book, then, photograph it. Yeah, then put the put the tin of wine on top of the book, and then send the picture in, and we'll send you a shirt. Yeah. It's um, like collecting the Dragon Balls, but for <laughs> podcasting. It's, it's exactly like that. Mm. And we've got Milo on the boards. Hello. Yeah, my, my brain is my brain is very broken because I've had a very I've had like a very normal weekend, like staying with my girlfriend's parents and meeting them for the first time. And it's, it's been like so uh-huh. normal and wholesome that in, in many ways, gone? my brain is no longer functioning. Ta- as it talk, should. talk about it in detail for the people. Milo. It was good. They're very nice people. Big shouts out to them if they're listening, which they're definitely not. Thank fuck. <laughs> meet, meet, meeting your girlfriend's parents is a bit sus. Yeah. It is a bit sus because yeah. one of them's a man. <laughs> Damn, what, what were my motives in wanting to meet my girlfriend's parents? <laughs> wanting to be introduced to a man? Very dubious. <laughs> and we're also joined by the deputy editor of Metro.co.uk, Alex Hudson. Alex, how are you doing? I'm really good. I'm sort of, I'm, I feel like, Less normal than Milo for having his. That sounds like the most normal weekend. Was it? Was there barbecue food? Uh, no, sadly there was not. We went out there for will a pub be, lunch yesterday. And oh, that's today, normal. Today her mum cooked lunch. So. Oh my god, that's regular. That's that's mm. traditional meeting yeah. girlfriend parents. You know, you know what was really regular this morning. We all, as a group of four, did the Times crossword. Were there oysters? No, there weren't. Uh-huh. Nor was there wine in a tin. Sadly. <laughs> Yeah, that's an extremely regular Look, weekend. that's a wearing a chambray shirt, Converse high tops, and Adidas shorts move is to have oysters in the morning. <laughs> mm. um, so what we're doing today is uh, Alex has sort of penned a few articles and been involved in the creation of... Oh, do you want the full PR line? With like, It's an 80-part series about the future of everything from sex to work to, to health to evolution to people. That's the full PR line. The full PR line. Um, and... So the, it's called The Future of Everything. Uh, you can look it up. Um, there's lots of interesting stuff there. And there are a few bits and bobs they've discussed that I'd like to venture into a little bit more, especially based on the theme of this show, which is that the future is not so good, folks. Wait, what? is the future of sex that there isn't any? Yeah, no, genuinely. Did you see that tanky tweet? Yeah, that that the person who loves North Korea, who was like, you know, maybe sex should just be for reproduction. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I mean, if that's what it costs to live under Juche, then so be it. (laughs) Yeah. Damn. As we become a more secular society, an opinion writer argues, actually, we have fewer children. And so religious people who traditionally have more children, the world just becomes more and more full of orthodox religion and the secular society eventually dies out. So then, yeah. Mm. And that's interesting. So, then, like, we accidentally become a theocracy. And then, Checkmate lips. I was going to say that. <laughs> then, then, and then, and then let's, let's see who this writer really is Michelle Welbeck. <laughs> <laughs> a Danny Welbeck's older brother. Birkbeck. Yeah. Um, so, that's, that's one. That's, that, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I read that one. That read a little bit great replacement to me. <laughs> I was, I was like, I'm not, you know, like, I'm not so sure about this one, Metro. <laughs> I feel like all the real radical writing is taking place, and I feel like I've been very genuine about this. Like Metro UK, Metro.co.uk, like has some super, super interesting stuff, which I feel like people just tend to gloss over. Um, 
So they kind of see like the economist as being like this radical, like you know, <laughs> ra- um, the, ra- the radical economist, radical the economist is flipping like, over, or, like, or like the FT, who are like you know, be one of the only newspaper- the big serious ones. Yeah, but the ones who are like sort of taking kind of interesting questions around automation and stuff seriously. But mm. like, I feel this Metro.co.uk, which are like way ahead you, of the you curve. Can, you can say Metro now. Once you said it once, like that, there's a lot of syllables okay. in that. I feel like it's the Metro, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But are like actually the true accelerationists. <laughs> and like, and like, no, and just like, no one else, no one else realizes it. Yeah. Um, well, it's also because like, whenever the Economist writes about automation, they tend like the the questions that they tend to ask and the people they tend to commission to write, um, tend to bound themselves in respectability so much that they'll be saying, well, uh, what will the effects of automating this many jobs be on on wages? And of course, you know, wh- and then let's add another bunch of assumptions towards the end about. How how really automation will be good for everyone if they just retrain? I mean, the Economist, uh, with a few sort of good writers who work for them aside, the Economist has largely been retreading the same, the same sort of set of basically se- of center right foreign policy, center centered um, domestic policy generally for the last five years, and more or less anything they write will tend to fit that uh, that approach. Um, so like. That's not very interesting. That's very little that's new. If I were to read about someone who says, maybe if we don't fuck enough, the religious <laughs> ones will take over, I turn to Metro. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Because that's, I'd rather read something interesting than something respectable but dull, in my yeah. opinion. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or a backhanded compliment or a massive critique. I don't know. No, in this, norm- in, this, in this basement, in it's a huge compliment. Basement, <laughs> that is an, in this basement, trust me, that is a normal compliment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's why now Hussein, for the first time ever, is going to have sex. Not for fun, but because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I've got to like, you know, it's 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 just, it's it's for the sake of for having sex for the sake of Hezbollah. Um, <laughs> I've just, you know, you, you know, they, you got to give it to them, right? You do, you have, you have to give it to them, yeah, which is, or receive um, it from them. Control of uh, the, I believe, speaker's chair in Lebanon. <laughs> usually, they, usually they control that, uh, and then the Christians, I think, usually control like the prime ministership. Yeah. The Druze are usually something yeah. else. You know, anyway, I've I've written my letter to request permission to have sex. I should hear back in the next few days. I will let you know how that goes. So, Who do you uh, write to? Is it uh, Nicholas Soames? <laughs> he seems like the guy who'd be in charge. Yeah, yeah no, he's the in, in, in post-Brexit, depending on who wins, um, on, on who wins the Tory leadership contest, sex in post-Brexit Britain will either be handed out by Nicholas Soames on the basis of Prima Nocta or Matt Hancock on the basis of an algorithm. <laughs> Oh, you know what? On the drive, on the drive in today, um, it was announced on the radio that Sam Jima has also thrown his hat in the ring for a conservative leader. And I just went, Ugh. and then, and then my girlfriend went, "Who's that?" And I was like, "Oh, you beautiful thing that you don't have to know who that is." <laughs> I, I wish, I wish I had your brain where I don't have to know who Sam Jima is. It, it's uh, as Rory Stewart sort of goes walkabout across the UK <laughs> to try and to try and sort of debate everyone like a very rational, awkward, slender man. Um, so too will will Sam Jima uh, invite every single voter in the UK to get an Uber and a Deliveroo with him so he can talk about yeah. the benefits of the gig economy. Well, Sam Jima believes that just millennials and Gen Z can actually afford a house if they save money on buying clothes by only wearing socks, which they'll then pull their socks up so high that they cover their entire body. And then if you don't, you can make a lucrative living as a, as a, as a cammer. Exactly. You know? So you can be gaming up top, camming down below. You're only wearing socks. You're saving a lot of money. Mm. And all of a sudden, and you know what? You're not eating, so you're hungry. 
you're hungry, but you're also hot. You're running hot and you're staying hungry. And that's how we're going to compete with China and, uh, you know, the, the rise of Africa and who can forget America. And mm. that's how we're going to go forward together, but also individually. Exactly. Sorry, I was, I was, caught, I was briefly, <laughs> I briefly came over, I briefly caught whatever disease Joan Ryan has. <laughs> oh, yes. The hands. Um, anyway, so look, we're going to go through a couple of the, um, a couple of the, the articles of this series that have, that have caught my attention anyway, because I think if you string them, some of them together, it tells a very interesting story. So, uh, Alex, the first one I'm, of the articles I'm going to discuss is, I believe, one that you wrote, um, and it is about the next recession. So, Governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, reported the weakest output since the last recession in 2009, uh, recently. And the bank's of JP Morgan says a recession is coming in 2020. Economist John Malden predicts the 2020s will be the worst decade in American history. And billionaire investor George Soros says we may be heading for another global financial crisis. Well, not quite the four economists of the apocalypse. Prediction after prediction is saying that 2020 will be the year when things really start happening. So what do you, what do you, you want to elaborate on that a bit? I do. Firstly, I'm really happy about the sort of the four economists of the apocalypse. That was a high moment of my journalistic career. Mm. Um, it's, we talked to an AI specialist who predicted, they have an algorithm going and they predict that it's going to happen in October 2019 and the, uh, the recession in in the next two years is 99.9% going to happen. And we don't know what the hell we're going to do next, because the, if a recession is coming, we don't have the political will to do to fix this thing because of what happened in 2008 and the fact that the, anyone who bails out the banks again will lose the next election. We don't know what will happen with the actual funds, because we have... We have there's, you know, the whole thing about there's no money left, we, we get all of that. There, there is no mm. money left, but this time there really isn't so there actually isn't any hope with where we take <laughs> yeah like, like, it's just quite a sentence <laughs> so like and, and so you, you go with quantitative easing you, you there, there is no chance of it ever ever a country that will ever go bankrupt because you can just quantitative ease and that, that stuff still happens but when it hits in such a global way what actually the the reality of it is that we don't know if america's going to cause it we don't know if china's going to cause it we don't know if whatever happens to the eurozone is going to cause it but we know that something is going to cause it and um, one of the experts in the piece was saying, like, you only ever notice when it's way too late, mm. and that that's the fascinating thing. Of so, there's already the stuff happening in Venezuela. There's already has stuff happening in Portugal. There's already stuff happening in Greece. No one said people have been googling Venezuela too much. It's, <laughs> yeah. cra it's crashed the Venezuelan <laughs> internet. Just everyone googling it, and and every Tory leadership cam uh, leadership uh, contender has Googled Venezuela, therefore causing the entire internet to crash. And so, like, perhaps the, the, like, the, 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 the economists who are saying this are sort of described as the negative people, and they're like, no, no, hold on, Venezuela, like, Venezuela, come on, like, come on, like, have you not seen this? And all of the, all of the economists on the other side are saying, oh, no, we, 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 can, we can project sustained growth over the next 10 years. And that's the, the narrative around it, the media narrative around it, and the expert narrative around it relies on the fact that we have no idea what the hell is going to happen with Trump. We don't know what's going to happen so with 2020. We don't know what the hell is going to happen with Brexit, despite all of the years of the stuff of trying to get it there. We don't know what's going to happen with the Eurozone, uh, with, with Macron trying to sort of change that significantly. We don't know what's happening in East Asia with the China sort of America trade conflict. We're in this weird place right now where we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in the next 18 months, except for the algorithm. The algorithm knows with 99.9% .9 probability that we're going to go in a recession in the next two years. Well, I mean, I'd also say, like, in many ways, um, this is one of the, one of the great benefits of being a historical materialist is that we don't 
we don't really need a, an algorithm to tell. We might, maybe, an algorithm might help tell us what month the recession's coming. October 2019. October 2019. So you heard it here first. Uh, in case, if you run out of money, just um, buy discounted uh, Halloween candy once October's over. So trash future... Uh, money-saving tip for the next recession. <laughs> Set your clocks for savings, people. <laughs> um, equally, I noticed in the article, yes, you're saying there are banks failing in, in Venezuela. You know, I, I, I would add in many ways due to international <laughs> sanctions. I know, because I Googled it. Um, I, I, um, but equally, because they don't have cool think tanks. They don't have, they don't have the IEA. <laughs> they don't have the, like, if the IEA was in Venezuela, um, then things they, would be very different. Then they'd be saying Google, Google the UK. Um, <laughs> the thing is, if you don't store your think in tanks, then you're reliant on the international flow of think, which of course can vary from month to month. But it's not, it's not, just, it's not just banks in Venezuela. It's banks in India and in Latvia. Um, there are the the failures. So none are... of my savings are safe. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I shouldn't have plowed all that money into Venezuela, but India and Latvia, where <laughs> all of my retirement nest egg is stored. <laughs> but the, the 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 first dominoes are beginning to fall. Essentially, is I think what that what that what that person was saying. But the other thing to remember is like, look, we talked about this with Grace Blakely, is that um, capital in, in its core has a contradiction, and that is that. Uh, with all of the money paid to every single worker, you can't afford to buy all of the goods that capital produces. And that, that mm. has caused, and we filled that gap in the past by expanding in space with empires, by expanding forward in time with financialization. And <laughs> my argument now, expanding uh, beyond the limits of human comprehension with a bunch of like pogo stick startups or whatever. And that's the <laughs> source of future growth. You don't need to be, um, you don't need an AI model to know that. These these kinds of things are very crisis prone, um, and I think the, the the scary thing with what the AI model tells us, and I'm often loath to credit AI too much, um, <laughs> but that it tells us is that this next this next crash is coming probably relatively soon, um, and then. We, it will be great when none of us have any jobs or money, but some of us get to say, I told you so. And then another smaller group of people gets to go live on the moon. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran will end up living on yeah. the moon. Ed, Ed, Ed Sheeran will be the, you know, Ed Sheeran will be the court jester and only one allowed to, in, to insult Jeff Bezos. What a sitcom. <laughs> to Ed, remind him he is but a man. Ed Sheeran living next to the Nazi moon base. <laughs> Come on, Ed, play Galway Girl again. It's Rudolph's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to illustrate that there is no money left before we move on, um, even though 20, 2008 was one of the worst years ever for markets, and this still informs policy today, it is said that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. This is because China had stockpiled funds for a rainy day, the Fed acted quickly with a $700 billion bailout, and the Bank of England underwrote a further £250 billion of short-term loans. Um, Classic Chinese, concerned about rain as always. <laughs> the natural oh, enemy of the Chinese economy. Oh, excuse me, Malcolm Gladwell. Preview of, of an upcoming episode. Um, but in effect, the liquidity that under that made all of those all of that action possible is essentially essentially doesn't exist. In the political will to mobilize, it doesn't exist because. We have basically exhausted that second displacement of capital. So, as, as a, how, what I took from this article is, prepare for stuff to get dumber. This is the nicest I've ever heard you be about an article that anyone has written. This is a, this is a this is a beautiful moment. Like, <laughs> I've listened to this podcast. Was like, yeah, you just this is this article is terrible. This article is rubbish. This article is so offensive. Like, this is this is beautiful. This is this, <laughs> this feels like you've read it, you've taken it in, and you haven't trolled me yet. This is this is really nice. Riley's uh, becoming a beautiful woman. It's <laughs> it's an amazing. 
amazing thing to see. It's truly a Look, blossoming. It's part of it's part of the hat, the dress shirt, the Adidas shorts. Um, taking in quite a bit of, of soy through apparently oysters and tanned wine have lots of soy in them. Yeah, give give this boy a tin of wine and he's anyone's. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think there isn't... The wages were increasing. There was more money in the economy. That was in 2007, 2008. There, there isn't that same thing now. We've had this sort of wages stagnating, which is a very polite way of talking about it. We've had the sort of impending housing crisis with people not even being able to afford to live. The the the, the most miserable statistic of the poverty rate is that 37% of children will be in poverty by the end of this year. And so then at what point is there loads of money left that keeps to keep the economy afloat? And that's the key for British British speaking. That's the real scary thing about it. I'd like to apologise for having 37% of children in the next few years. It was a terrible planning error on my part. <laughs> that, that's the thing. Like, how, how is that happening? I think and the, that's the thing that I don't know the answer to. Like, how, how is that 37% possible? That's, that's something I just don't understand. I mean, I've got some, I've got some theories. <laughs> Riley just Should failed to screw the lid onto one, a bottle. By one, by one. <laughs> for the benefit of the listener, Riley just failed to screw the lid onto a bottle of water twice in his sheer excitement to talk about child poverty. <laughs> well, look, I think in, in many ways that question is, in, is somewhat answered by another, another paragraph from the same article, uh, which is, even if our headline employment figures are being propped up by the startups creating new jobs, we are already witnessing a severe slowdown in hiring by all the established firms that are vital to the health of the economy. This is um, said by a professor from Aston Business School. That means the rate at which all jobs in traditional industries are being lost could increase increase quicker in a recession than ever before, but is probably, and this is me now, also that 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 discrepancy is probably driving us closer to a recession now, and is probably a great, a, 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 you might say, a great driver of more and more children in poverty. Because as fewer and fewer people can possibly have jobs, there's also fewer, there's also less and less available in. Um, in what is essentially consumption, from a purely economic point of view, can be seen as the consumption smoothing provided by a an actual humane um, welfare system. And that's why we kind of dreamt up the whole thing because we're on the cusp of so many different things. That if if you take automation, it's going to have this huge impact. If we're going to take quantum, which is on the brink of of changing ev- absolutely everything, where we no longer need delivery drivers, we don't, we no longer need the sort of traditional blue collar workers. We we no longer need all manner of different things because computing became so much more powerful instantly. What the hell do people do? And so it's there's, and when you talk about the sort of citizens' income, when we talk about that and about whether or not that's politically viable in certain countries, it will be in certain, other certain countries, it won't be. There, there won't be unless we start inventing. So we we did the piece about that, like all of the jobs that don't exist yet that will exist. So that if you look at the digital revolution, the sort of job that you don't have a social media consultant in 1986, you do now. What what jobs are you going to fill with? And and then it, I'm sure you're going to have views on this about whether or not creating jobs that don't necessarily have the most point. What is that a good thing or a bad thing to create them? Dick sucking machine repairman. Retrain <laughs> now, boys. Retrain now. <laughs> Again, that comes up later. <laughs> oh my! So I mean, who watches the dick sucking machine watchman? I think like this is a lot of what we're talking about. Actually, is quite well summarized in Peter Frace's book for Futures: Life After Capitalism, which, uh, if you're not familiar with, I'll sort of gloss now. Basically says Who's familiar. Who <laughs> listen is familiar? With a that? lot of people who listen to this are. I think a good. 
uh, probably 20% of our audience has read okay. <laughs> Life After Cat Before Futures. A higher percentage than the percentage of people listening to the show have jobs. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so uh, essentially what uh, Peter Frace is talking about is he's saying, look, if you want to be very simple about it, you can see, and if you are a materialist, if, if you sort of understand how much stuff you have as being pretty much important to the determinant of the kind of life you can have, um, that there are, it's like there's a, four, a, a two by two matrix that shows a what, what the future will be like. And it's on basis of do you have hierarchy or not? And do you have scarcity or not? So do these, do these technologies like quantum computing develop that to the point where scarcity is no longer really an issue? And are we able to eliminate um, the hierarchies that, all, that exist now that prevent any kind of equality from coming about? Um, and, what he, and he talks about like if you have um, no hierarchy and no scarcity, you have like a Star, a Star Trek-style replicator economy. If you have hierarchy and scarcity, you have a sort of a, a exterminism where most of the uh, not useful uh, workers are just sort of uh, killed or allowed to die by like natural disasters or wars or just sort of starved, which is kind of more or less what's happening no, now. Yeah, God, I can't imagine future. that. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of, and like I said, that's kind of how I read. And, and I think some of the articles that we're looking at, I mean, if you, if you look at it through that lens of that two part, two by two matrix. It's meant to be positive. It's meant to be a positive <laughs> series. And like, like all my colleagues are like, yeah, you, are you going to write anything happy soon? Like, no, no, the future, the future is pretty dark. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff, bad stuff is going to happen. <laughs> ah, our podcast leaking into Metro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the idea that they were hoping for like, in the future, you're going to be able to watch a film on your iPod. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> in the future, you might live long enough to, to survive through a film. I mean that that's the last that's the last piece of the series that's going to go out in a couple of weeks. It's like actually like look at all of these horrifically wrong predictions about how the future would turn out, and I'm looking forward. I'm currently researching at the moment, and like there are so many wrong, bad, horrific predictions. All right, that's not on the notes, but tell me about some of them. <laughs> no, no, like I'm just at the start of the research. Like so, people who really thought that the CD was still going to actually sustain, and the the inter before the internet existed, and the fact that Alan Sugar was going to be king, basically uh, <laughs> with all with all of his sort of spectrum based ideas. Well, that email phone, I still use it every day. Yeah. I mean. You know, and when we thought Blackberry, just think about that email on a phone, wild. The, the Blackberry story of when uh, Steve Jobs was giving that piece about the iPhone. Like, apparently, this guy, the guy, had a BB, uh, Blackberry was on a treadmill in a in a wood panelled office, and he was running running along on the treadmill, and he just was watching this on the screen in front of him. Was like, oh, we're now competing with a computer. Like, dude, like, where have you been? And like, Blackberry Messenger is now dead. Blackberry's dead. What? what? How are you so bafflingly confused about the future? Blackberries back on bushes where they belong. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I frequently think about um, about the fact that in order to solve the um, long distance communicate communication at distance within cities problem, like the first answer was just to create a system of pneumatic tubes that would take uh, paper messages along, mm. or. That when the Jetsons imagined the future, it still imagined a stay-at-home housewife and um, a patriarch of the family working at Spacely Sprockets. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that in many ways, it is, it is hard to imagine the future. It's very, very, very hard because you really have no idea what's really going to change. Do you know, this um, is 1930s trash future where we imagine the amazing future where everyone will still need doohickeys and dervishes and things such things. <laughs> do you know um do you know Neon Neon Genesis Evangelion was set in 2012? Evangelion? Evangelion was set in 2012. Uh-huh. 
Why? The reason it's called Evangelion is because it's actually an Arab show. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Egyptian show specifically. I see. Yeah. The whole point, like Blade Runner missed the point. Like Blade Runner should have been released the exact point when the first one was set. When was it? Like 2019, 2018? Blade Runner, like yeah. the first one? Like, and just, oh yeah, that's exactly how the world is now. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We've got robots. That, that We've got replicants. That's definitely What was really funny about Evangelion, yeah. though, was that like, even with these massive robots, they still needed to charge. So like, <laughs> so like the robots only had like 15 minutes, right? They want to have a portable and battery, then, and then and then they used to have like a cable, so you'd have to like connect the cable. I mean, that was more of a plot. De- that was more of a plot device to make yeah. the battles more urgent. Right, right. I don't want to like get too much mm. into the lore of it. I just found that very, very funny. You've seen the Amazon blimp, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, all I know, yeah. all I know is, is that like at some point the future is going to end with Matt Hancock versus Jeff Bezos in like various like mecha suits. Yeah. Um, Team Hancock all the way. Yeah, no. And like everyone Matt, knows we're Team Hancock because Matt Hancock's gonna be the only one who can save no, us. No, because Matt what, Hancock what, is like this Gundam is a great way to learn about your mechanical body. What, Je- <laughs> what Jeff? What Jeff Bezos? What Jeff Bezos's uh, uh, battle suit will have in sheer power? Uh, Matt Hancock's will make up for in agility. So I, I genuinely and I genuinely believe that that Matt Hancock will strike the will strike the winning blow and score a victory for humanity, just as he will in the Tory leadership competition, <laughs> as he will over Brexit. We're we are a pro Matt Hancock podcast, as everyone knows, because we believe that our beautiful, innocent idiot boy <laughs> is the only one fit to govern, much like Plato's philosopher king, <laughs> but for a guy who is, again, just pr- kind of happy and dumb. If a podcast is a party political message, you have to label it in the notes. That, that you're- <laughs> <laughs> paid, for, paid for by Matt Hancock for prime minister, not affiliated with Matt Hancock. Yeah, we are paid for by gettingyourdicksuck.com. Paid for by gettingyourdicksuck.com. All, All right. right. So, so there are, it's, we, we know it's very hard to predict the future. And I think there's a lot of hype around artificial intelligence that it allow, gives its predictions a lot more credence than maybe we ought to well, give it credit for. I mean, it recently came out that all of the Amazon um, automated delivery bots were just being remote controlled by guys in Colombia. No, the, the Domino's thing. The, uh, we 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 went we went we sent the journalist digging into the Domino delivery app, and that's yeah. while it's not wholly human operated. That's sort of oh, it's in the oven now. Someone has to push a button some of the time to make that happen. Yeah, like. That's. Like, I'd always presumed that though, because otherwise, how would it know that the pizza's in the oven? Like, I mean, unless like the, unless like the oven is a robot, or like I, don't, I mean, I, I, I maybe I'd that. always assumed that it was just a person saying, "Okay, it's in the oven now," and then it gets updated. So no. all the people who don't think that, I feel like, must be tremendously dumb. No, we wrote a piece about Domino's delivery, and we had hundreds and hundreds of messages like, "Oh, the, the, we we need we need to know." We need to know if that's a, an AI or if it's just a person doing something, doing a, sort of having to add more to their job of like pushing a button, pushing a button, pushing a button, pushing a button. So one thing I did believe though was I heard a conspiracy theory that the Domino's <laughs> that the Domino's pizza tracker is just a timer and it actually bears no relation to where your pizza is in the process at all. Well, if you order, if you order a um, just a, like a soda from Domino's, it will say that your order is in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know we're if people baking know your soda, baby. Yeah, we're we're baking up your Dr Pepper, good and nice. Um, but so moving on, Dr Roasted Peppers. So let's just let's just have let's just have that be be our context where we are in the midst of a re- we are in the midst of a brutal recession for which we had no fiscal firepower, and growth must be sustained at any cost. And so many of the other stories that we talk about can be seen in this series can be seen as stories of splintering um that is to say decentralization without democratization um when the when the state is unwilling or unable to um 
So it can continue to sustain growth, provide certain services. It essentially outsources them to the private sector. And as the process of accumulation goes, as we all know, the most powerful players will snap them all up and then charge exorbitant rents for them. So one of the first ones that we talk about is actually money. Um, so one of your one of the articles on your on your series is about private cryptocurrencies becoming more normal. So we start with we know that Facebook has been looking to integrate all of its messenger systems, so WhatsApp, mes- uh, its own messenger and Instagram, to basically monopolize the way that the, most of the world's people communicate. And also we know that money is a special commodity with two functions: the universal exchange value commodity, which means it's used for informational purposes, how much a thing is worth in any given time to what people, and also a claim on the labor power of other people. And futurists like to write about the first function of money; they do not like to talk about the second function of money. But so we talk, but we talk in this article about how there is this move towards a more just-on-time digital form of money controlled by a few different people instead of a few different states. You, it's it's so the idea is that the, currently the government owns all of the currency in the world, and that is not going to remain the same for very long. So you've got Facecoin or Global Coin or whatever the hell Facebook is going to call Phase it. Coin. <laughs> Phase Coin, our favorite gamer. Coin banks. Um, you. <laughs> You've actually you've already got like the Bank of England already experimenting with it. All of the all of the major banks are looking at it, and there's actually just the only reason that they're not already launching their own cryptocurrencies. The actual banks themselves are like um, is because it would be against the law because you can't prove that the money hasn't gone through Yemen or Syria or other or other countries that are actually banned from. Right, okay. As we know, the only money that should go to Yemen is in the form of investments in bombs. <laughs> oh, mm. equally, and this is um this is this is a slight aside um. That's not a, like you. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, um, who friend is of a friend of mine who is a, a works as a journalist in the Middle East, um, recently uh, told me that in the last year or so, Yemen has basically become Metal Gear Solid Guns of the Patriots, in as much as um, it is now just the place where all of these highly autonomous um, killing machines are just being tested by weapons manufacturing companies. So. Remote controlled AP, not just drones anymore, but like artificially into artificial intelligence driven APCs, um, not walkers yet, not metal gears, but like uh, various kinds of, of extremely advanced gun and so on. They're just all there. Wait, but an AI APC is no longer an, an APC because an APC is an armored personnel well, carrier. Maybe it's, yeah, it's got so personnel it in it. Oh, has it? Yeah, it still has personnel in it. Oh, that's so cursed. Like being in a self-driving car that's also a tank and you have no control over it and you're going through yes. Yemen. <laughs> and uh, An it- adventure holiday. <laughs> and I, I mean, again, fortunately, I mean, because because, because yeah. all this shit sucks, it's probably just constantly crashing into itself and one another and flipping and restarting. But it's still very um, perturbatory. Anyways. Please continue. Where was I? Um, so yeah. Anyway, crypto. The, the the thing is, it can't be tracked. So there's a fascinating thing about the uh, crypto in the US, where a number of different high-profile investors have done with Bitcoin, and actually, what that means is they are making probably thousands, if not millions, of dollars from Bitcoin. But they, because the government can't track their tax returns, they are not paying tax for the most part on those returns. So they can get away with it because there's no other way to track it. And so the government, the the US, the US government, had to spend millions of dollars hunting through these um, currency exchanges to find out the sort of people who are are sort of contributing the least and then taking out the most so they could actually find them and try and prosecute them. And and we're kind of in the process of the governments have no idea how to manage cryptocurrency because it's impossible. And what that means is the governments will launch their own cryptocurrencies or 
it's it becomes co- complicated because they can't launch crypto because they have no control over it. But Facebook has a chance to do it, or a big bank has the chance to do it, or Mark Carney is one of the mo- biggest advocates of of crypto. It means that people then have their own money and they have their own way of exchanging it and governments cannot get any money on it. So it, in, it has a potential to destroy the entire tax system. So rendering, and because it doesn't have a country associated with it, it makes a truly international tax policy where no one has to pay tax. Private crypto, crypto for money, any so, old Bitcoin will do. I mean, this I, we're, we're basically adding dashes and, and dollops and, and this, that, and the other of various ingredients and it feels like it comes out as Mad Max. <laughs> um, it, especially the article about especially Mad the article about Perinays. Yeah, especially the article about water about about the potential for water wars as well. Again, I didn't include it because I thought it was a little bit Malthusian. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're being so nice. Um, no, the wa- waters will be weather unless unless graphene or another technology comes along to make clean water available to all. Clean water will be where the next wars are fought on. And, uh, but I think the other thing to remember is that these wars tend, won't be fought between uh, belligerents on equal footing so much as they will basically be new kinds of imperialism where more, more powerful, mostly Western, mostly Northern countries uh, find ways to support and protect the, their, the companies that then go out from them to go secure water abroad, for example. That's what the water wars are going to look like, probably. <sighs> That's sad. It'll just the. The AI APCs. You know, yeah. Mm. Again, it's gonna be it's gonna be a combination of Mad Max and Metal Gear Solid, or it's gonna be briefly Metal Gear Solid and then Mad Max. A very anti-Semitic Metal Gear Solid. Oh right, yeah. Mm. No, no, I'm talking about Mad Max Fury Road. Um, oh. No Mel Gibson in that one. Yeah, I didn't like that Mad Max. Not because it didn't have Mel Gibson in it, but I just thought it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> not because it didn't have Mel Gibson in it, but because it had a woman in a prominent role. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a very boring film. That's wrong. It's great. I didn't like the other Mad Max. Shut the fuck up, Milo. First, you talk badly about Canadian wine. He's now a co- Mad Max. He's the kind it's of guy a very who'll boring make boring film. I'm not climbing down from this. He's the kind of guy who'll make the cut. He'll, he'll make like the Mad Max Fury Road without women cut. <laughs> I like Charlie's Theron, but just I did not like that film. Just a series of disconnected <laughs> sketches where Tom Hardy goes slightly less crazy. <laughs> That's the film. That count. That's that is the film. Yeah. Okay. So, but one of the things that interests me m- uh, more about the Bitcoin thing, or the cryptocurrency thing that you were talking about, is less the macro effects, which are very bad and seem to be part of the metal gearization of the world, but rather the micro effects. So, one of the main things that is standing in the way of um, of Bitcoin and or cryptocurrency being used for most transactions, most of the time, is transactions per second. Right now, Bitcoin can bit, the Bitcoin blockchain can do like five transactions per second, whereas Visa can do like twenty four thousand. Um, so there is like a techno there's a technological gap here that could probably be solved by something like quantum computing, for example. But if this is the you you say, well, th- well, still difficult to imagine if this the if this is the direction of travel for this emerging technology space, such a world would see real time payments, receipts, and taxation. Imagine receiving your salary continuously as you perform your employed work rather than at the end of the week or the month. Taxes such as payee or national insurance, if they still exist, <laughs> would be also remitted to a central tax authority in real time. And I'm saying if you combine that with the next two things that I have, you get something very dystopian indeed. I took the payment by minute as actually a good thing. So freelance invoices, you invoice and then you get paid 
well, you're meant to get paid within 28 days. You don't. You get paid sort of three months, four months later. And the real-time way of paying, I think you've taken to this. I mean, like every time you push a button, you get like a penny. Mm-hmm. And actually, if it's run, and so it's whether or not you believe in the power of government or you don't believe in the power of it. So if you believe in the sort of goodness of people, then, or, you know, a really nice, beautiful, reputable employer, they will pay people more more promptly and better and and more for their work. You're seeing this as this. I refer you to the title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're seeing this as a sort of thing where you have to be actually working and the idea of thinking about work is not working. Therefore, you have to be pushing buttons at every step of the way unless and then, and then you get paid for like the number of button pushes per second or something. I think the evidence sort of probably bears out. Unfortunately, I hate to say it. I think the evidence kind of bears out my way of seeing it. Um, <laughs> According to you. Uh, yep. If so, if you, for example, if you look at uh, delivery drivers, um, they are set up in such a way that they're not that going from they're not paid for any of the time they spend not actively delivering a por- a parcel of food, uh, even though they might have to be on the clock for that long. So there has been a way for capital to f- to keep workers employed, available, and not doing anything else for a certain amount of time, but to pay them only for the time when they're generating value for the business. And I would see that I see I see this as a way f- as a way to extend that model to industries that previously been more difficult to do that for. And you would, but you would hope a state would intervene. You would hope that. <laughs> I hope so. You, I wouldn't trust it to. Um, and then you get into the sort of, if you provide citizens income, and if, if you do all of these things that are meant to save people from poverty, then eventually you actually get to a point where people being paid for working or, or for thinking, or like, and then that's where the quantum argument comes in. Because if you can tell when someone, well, that's a terrifying actually thing, around when are people thinking about work so that they're not just dicking around on Instagram or whatever. They're actually, they're just, oh, what's that thing that I'm meant to be doing? Okay, that. If they're paid for that sort of thing, when the mind can be read, Mm-hmm. Then is that? Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good thing anymore. Fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible privacy invasion. It's fine. bad, folks. It's not good. And so it's that. The I mean, the way I the way I mean, stepping back, the way I tend to look at these things is, you can al- always trust capital to seek growth at any cost. And the way that we can, the way that we can at least try to push back against that tendency through organize, organized political action and labor organizing. Um, if, the, if these technologies come to exist in a world that is more hierarchized, so that has, um, let's say, ne- more neoliberal governments or more even conservative or reactionary or fascist governments, then capital will be more free to use these technologies to press, to press and exploit workers harder. Whereas, if these technologies come into being in a world in which organized labor has more power or there's a socialist government and so on, then these technologies will be more likely to be used for things that benefit more of us. So this is where the hierarchy or scarcity or um, uh, arguments come back in. And unfortunately, we're currently in a world that has quite a bit of hierarchy. But as a result of recent elections, very few bandits. So (laughs) we can't really say if it's good or not. Oh yeah. Um, so here is the next. Here is the next thing that you, so Alex, you sort of alluded to this a while earlier. Even without quantum computing, Siri and Alexa could know what you're thinking as well as what you're saying. Wait, Siri and Alexa. <laughs> That's a very. 
Not Google Home, though. <laughs> Just Siri and Alexa. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking of Siri and Alexa. As in, yeah, I was, an I was Alexa thinking who tells you when dark. you're about to be killed in a drone strike. <laughs> Calling out our subbing there, thanks. Yeah. 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 Um, so, this is a quote from the article. My Google Home won't be a Google experience. It will be an experience brought to be my Google. I won't even say Google. I can say Sarah or Conrad, and anyone else can use whatever name they want for that theirs. That sounds like one of those equivocations about product placement. No, this isn't a Google experience. This is an experience brought to you by Google. And for legal reasons, we have to make that very clear. <laughs> I, I, I've named my Google Home, like, wife. Yeah. So you just shout wife. Dearest wife. <laughs> Why, so you can be like wife. a character in a 19th century pastoral yeah. novel. Yeah. Mm. Or, um, or you want to my... be that guy from the Vivitch? I've never seen <laughs> Never seen it. Yeah. My, my Google home is called Jude the Obscure. <laughs> <laughs> Ethelred the Unready. No, Ethelred. Uh, Ethelred the Unready. Ethel... Ethelred. Ah, God damn it. I hate that AE or combination. Ethelred. Yeah. No, I'm going to call mine Ethelred just so that there can be have there can be a character that was called that so I'll be right when I refer to it. Ethelred tube. What would even be on there? <laughs> I don't know Norman. I don't know. <laughs> the so. the C? Yeah, the 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 the, the choir boys. Oh oh, oh 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 oh. Um uh 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 King watch King Knut get wet and fucked. Rule 34 <laughs> of the internet, if you can imagine it, there King is porn of it. Cannot not. <laughs> The edging, yes. edging towards the sea. Yes. King, <laughs> King cannot nut edging towards the sea, folks. Mm. This is why you subscribe to a the new, Patreon. A new character. <laughs> Up there was Serbian war crimes uh, prankster Bamko Marjeric. <laughs> Although I, I now realize I regret not going for Slobobam Marjeric. Um... <laughs> <laughs> there's very there's very little of the original name left in that, huh? <laughs> That's quite a lot, actually. There's just a lot of other name. <laughs> okay, so um, what we're what we're talking about with this with this article is that one of the one of the things that the engineers behind voice these voice activated assistants are trying to do is to as you interact with them more to learn about you so that they can anticipate you so that they can basically know what you're thinking before you're thinking it. It comes down to how much privacy are you willing to sacrifice for this really easy thing. That the, the age-old thing that every technology journalist has had to go and see a fucking fridge. Oh, like like here's a here's a new like a fascinating Internet of Things thing. It's the, always the fridge, always the fridge first. Like <laughs> talk to any technology journalist, and you will hear something like, "Oh, for fuck's sake, the fridge again." And actually, it goes wild. So if all of your if if all of your devices are connected to the internet, they all know which. Thing you're taking out of the fridge or which program you've watched all this sort of stuff mm-hmm. like google adwords already has ev- all of these things about you yeah. how far does that go and when we get into sort of really intelligent computing to what it to what how do they know what you're thinking before you're thinking it thinking it because you've thought it 25 times before they know at 9 p.m you will turn on the kettle because the program you've just watched has finished uh, mm. at 7 30 a.m you wake up each day and they know that your your kettle will have already have boiled and you don't even have to ask alexa or siri or google home things because it already knows what you want because you're really predictable why is my <laughs> fridge showing me tentacle it is, it is actually bla- like i know that i know that like black mirror is very much a we live in a society thing but it's true that, that we b- do live in a society <laughs> we do in live in a ways. society and that society is creepily like very mm. similar to the one Charlie Brooker keeps there's, there's doing, an academic- and it makes me very angry. <laughs> <laughs> There's an academic called Hannah Critchlow, and she's predicted. Well, she's done this a lot of research. Her books out at the moment, which is highly recommended. Like she's talking about that, like free will is a lie, and the the point of the matter is that all of your just sort of genetic code and all of your sort of first few years make you who you are now, and 
because you are predictable, machines can predict your actions. And the the frightening thing is that you're not you're not original. You're not individual. You're really fucking predictable. But Be- that Pepsi but like, advert told me I was. <laughs> but, there's yeah. a, but there's like something interesting to that because I was thinking about this the other day, which is like the notion of predictability isn't necessary. Is kind of like linked to also um, like a uniformity that comes with living in the kind of economic context that we currently exist in. So the idea that like that kind of, you know, your interests and tastes are, if you have like a fairly like monotonous schedule, if you have like, especially if your life is dictated by work, for example, like the types of people who are really into like Google Homes and Alexas and stuff tend to be Mm. like people in their 20s and 30s who live and work in cities. And for them, like these are convenience products. So you know, they really want like a kettle to be ready for them at like 7.30 because it's like one thing that they don't have to worry about. Like they want their toast to be done in the way that they want to. Um, They like the idea of, you know, people who don't exist in the trash future universe who like are quote unquote normal people. They really like the idea of like being able, like being recommended products that they didn't realize they wanted. You know, and they can go on Before Amazon. I'm spending be like, so much time thinking about what products I want, and now I don't have to. <laughs> it's like, you know, wow, thanks, I, Google Fridge. You know, <laughs> you know just how I like my dick sucked. <laughs> so he jokes about it, but it's much true. better than my human friends. Yeah, it's it's it, <laughs> <laughs> much better than my old analog fridge. <laughs> like the amount, the, the, the amount, just like a guy like slamming his door and his dick in a regular fridge door, just being like, "This isn't good at all. I miss my Google Fridge. Why can't this fridge learn?" <laughs> <laughs> it hurts my dick the same every time. And then, and then, and then you realise that what you haven't done is connected your Bluetooth fridge to your to your Bluetooth chastity cage, oh, and, this, and this has been the issue. <laughs> Real nice, um, no, but like the amount of conversations I've had with people who have like really genuinely like liked like being re- recommended products and like the systems that you know are willing to kind of, they're also willing to give up a lot of information to kind of have that convenience and like the thing that. I keep coming back to is the idea that like so long as we kind of exist in this place where our lives are dictated by work and dictated by the same types of work and therefore you end up in the same types of routines um like these types of like convenient systems become emerged in the way that we live anyway so it's not the idea that mm-hmm. like these machines are learning like sinisterly learning about like the very like individual aspects of your life but rather that the way that we're living is kind of heading towards a sort of uniformity and the technology is sort of like matching that. You know what I want? I really want to have a little string I can pull so that I, I can have a little banner that unfurls behind me that says, that's dialectics, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it, so we've already given up on privacy, right? There, there is no such thing as privacy and Apple have tried it with Siri and from- Look, I, just, I just post all the hentai I search for online. So yeah. like- <laughs> That would be a popular blog. Yeah, like, you know, it's just yeah, like called Newsweek. Yeah. <laughs> Ayo. Bam. Bam. 2017, Bam. we're going back. We're taking it back to 2017 in the DF Studios. <laughs> you heard me, Newsweek. You've been roasted. <laughs> <laughs> Call it in. Time of death. <laughs> time of death. Time of death. Early edition. Exactly. Um, do you also think there's this weird thing, like, I, I was just thinking about this when you said about that academic who said that, um, you know, maybe maybe free will is an illusion. And it's like, 
But haven't philosophers been saying this for a hundred years? Like, don't you kind of think that, like, in some ways, like, technology is now getting good enough that all it's doing is basically proving the humanity's right, which is basically what technology has been trying not to do for all this time. They'd be like, <laughs> no, the humanities are stupid. You should learn about computers. Zeros and ones where it's at, baby. No one needs to know anything about poetry or, like, the nature of the human condition. So I was like, whoa, this supercomputer has just told me that, like, we're not really as free as we think. And, like, actually, our actions are kind of determined by our own personality and our surroundings. It's like, yeah, like, literally, like, fucking philosophers were saying this in 1850. Like, yeah, have you never read a book? But those philosophers weren't also, like, you know, they, they also weren't kind of posting out of context videos from like Ropley TV and stuff. Yeah, they didn't have little scooters, they didn't have hoverboards. Yeah. Not barely any of them disrupted those mm. scooters. Yeah. Like I went to South by this year. Oh. Those scooters are the worst thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. They're so horrible. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> my Google so- Swagway knows just how I like my high tops. <laughs> uh, so, my uh, you say Google Swagway knows just how you like your high tops. That was one of the worst sentences anyone has ever said. I mean, I I did not say that in seriousness. <laughs> I thought, I, I thought you said your go- your 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 Google Segway. Like, I said Swagway, which swag, I thought was swag-way. what they call, what they call it. Segway. Like, There's no extra you, W. Exactly, you're you're exactly, no, 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 no. A Segway is a Segway, but a Swagway is one of those like Segways. It was like a hoverboard. Yeah, that's your a Segway. Your Google se- Swagway uh, knows exactly how you like your dick sucked. Exactly. Yeah. And you like it at gettingyourdicksuck.com. Follow gyds.com on Twitter, folks, so you can get you can have access to our 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 new news project. There is a lot of phallic content on your not phallic site. Yeah, indeed. So, so, so here's the ne- here's the next article, and I want to think of this as a companion piece to the previous article. Your boss is already reading your emails. What happens when they can track your every move? What happens? <laughs> oh, it's a real head scratcher. Like, yeah. It's a real head scratchery doodle. <laughs> <laughs> well, my boss finally found out that I found out about isn't my, fir- your, my isn't fursuits. Is your boss Alana? Yeah, yeah, she knows all about my fursuits and all my all, all, all my hentai collections. No, she's yeah. like she's a cool boss. Yeah, that's fine. Um, she's um, not, she's not tracking your every move yet. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't know. Yeah, like, it's more of a fur Gundam. Yes. Oh Jesus Christ. No, but we but we talk about this like all the time, right? In terms of like all these like healthcare products and stuff and how. Um, you know, these healthcare products, these like healthcare trackers, which have like a corporate like component in it, where as a company you can kind of get a discounted rate by getting all your employees to like track their weight and then having, you know, to dis you know, to um to enter it into a database and all that stuff. Um so and you know, that's becoming pretty normal. So Yeah, great. <laughs> we live in a so- we yeah, live in so, a society. So here is here is the article. As 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 the t- as tr- as tracking and and mo- modeling technology becomes uh, more widely accepted, your boss might be tracking everything from your health and well-being to the cold hard numbers of how much you bring to the company. Half of all large corporations use monitoring techniques already, including analyzing emails and social media messages, along with looking at genetic data. Research from Gartner found it expects that figure to rise to eighty percent by twenty twenty, up from thirty percent back in twenty fifteen. And if you add artificial intelligence into the mix, then AI on a worker's smartphone will be able to start inferring things directly from their activity levels. And if the company asks uh, workers to put their smartphones out in the open, say on their desks, it may be able to watch while they work and make a much more concrete and direct assessment of exactly how productive that worker is being. That's a light, fluffy view of the future. I mean, um, the point is around privacy. And so a big part of the future of everything is actually privacy. How much rights do you have? Like, if you are you already having a VPN in your browser? If not, one could argue that you definitely should have a VPN. Um, 
and if you're at work, do you, does your contract start saying the extent to which you're allowed to be monitored? Is that does that become part of your productivity when you go to your sort of annual feedback meetings? Do you then say, oh, you spent sixty two percent of your time dicking about on Instagram? Is that a thing that is allowed already? Because the fact that there are there aren't any laws at the moment saying what you can and can't do around privacy when it's in the workplace when you signed a contract, and I don't know what the hell happens there in the future when you can track everything you do when you can when you have iris the iris tracking technology is the well, most that frightened. exists we yeah. talked about one of uh, the emotive a headset that actually does do that now and it's designed to quote help you be more productive at work but, you know, there's Correct. A re- my iris sensor is telling me that you're looking at my tentacles <laughs> <laughs> But like the Zuckerberg has that thing over his webcam for a reason because once we get into that technological phase when you can iris track when you can sort of get you can infer what people are up to how do you do you then give a promotion to the most productive or like what how do you how do you put that down in the graph or like and the fact that you're judging workers by graphs is a whole different conversation that we could be but it you will back method <laughs> you will be able to track everything that a worker does and to what extent and then you get into the whole like workers rights things who has the deciding call here does the worker say no to that job if they're if struggling for money does the employer say oh it's only for certain employees who weren't reading the contract closely was it for is it for man- not just employees not managers and you get that sort of hierarchical thing up the business what's there is no legislation at the moment, so this, the whole point of this thing is okay. Right, what what is the answer, and how do governments legislate? And is it on the government, or is it on the companies, or is it on sort of the uh, trade unions to come in and say this is not okay, or this is fine, or you know, you get a twenty five percent extra extra amount of money if you sign up to this. You know, like the health healthcare scheme you were talking about. If you if you tick this box, we can track everything you do, but you get a thousand pounds more a month, or whatever that mm-hmm. is, and. I think people would people have a price for their privacy, right? So if you the the health schemes where you get free healthcare if if you're fit and if you're healthy and if you're not going to cost them any money or discounted, if you're working, would you accept an extra five hundred pounds to show and prove that you're Yeah, to show and prove that you're working, right? And you then because we're in the technological future, you can then game test an A B C D E test about the exact amount that that exact person would accept to have them tracked. That's that's the because you because you'll be able to read them. You'll you'll bought your information from another technology company who they used to work for, and you'll be able to know exactly what their price is. So everyone's got a price, and now we can tell you exactly what that price is. Huh? Wow! Amazing! <laughs> awesome! It's got some very eighteen uh, fifties cool. vibes to it. That re- oh boy! And the, here's the thing. You, here's what I would what I one of the things one of the reasons I picked these articles that I picked is as. As we as we head into another recession, and 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 countries look for ways to protect to protect growth uh, without having to like go away without having to say try to discipline capital, which they sort of almost can't, um, or at least they're not willing to. Um, then more of these th- the more of these things are going to be allowed to happen to make the UK, for example, an attractive place to invest money. And so I find it's all—it's actually not, not what really um, twigged me on this was the idea of inst of instant compensation via blockchain for a task done or not done. If you combine that, if let's just say you combine that with the fact that you are working for one large company, buying almost everything you buy from another large company, 
on currency that is owned by one of the two or a third large company, then it's much easier for those three entities to talk to one another to predict how much you're going to get, predict what you're going to buy, and essentially... It's, it's Swagbucks, right? Yeah. It's Amazon it's, Swagbucks. It's Amazon Swagbucks, Swagbucks. But, but distributed and spent via a set of predictive algorithms. That, what it, I think that's already happening, isn't it? Do you not... Yeah. So you, you have Apple Pay, you have PayPal, you have all of these things, and you, you spend most of your... Well, uh, millennials and Gen Z spend most of their money online or with those sorts of... those currents. So you're kind of predicting a future that is, is already now. Yeah. Happy. Then, the future is now, right. old man. <laughs> so, like, you, 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 t you check your your phone one too many times at work, and by the time you get home, it turns out that you've been given like one gr uh, one grade of nutrient slurry lower than you're used <laughs> to, because all of the different predictive algorithms talk to one another and determined that the kind of slurry you like, you can't afford based on how much you've paid attention at work today. Maybe pay attention at work better tomorrow and you can get better slurry. I know the screen time yeah. thing on Apple is haunting. Riley, that, 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 that hits you. Riley has an off day on the podcast and he comes home and decide, finds that his <laughs> tin of wine has been replaced with a tin of carver. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, look. The tin of wine was very good. It was a very nice, sparkling spa Spanish fish monk. <laughs> yes, it's a. It's also a. To, to be honest, it's also an extraordinarily nice fishmongers. One <laughs> one thing we haven't really spoken about in the context of because like so much of what we're talking about is like about consumers, right? Well, consumers and workers. As yeah, well. consumers and workers, but like within kind of the context of a labor market. But so much of like this type of surveillance technology has come from like a decades of well, a decades of like building a sort of like an advanced surveillance state in the UK and especially in the US, like counter extremism and like counter terrorism industries in both countries are like multi-million, like billion dollar industries um, where even kind of like, you know, one thing I've been thinking about is just like how our notion of privacy has changed and how um, even when we've had those brief periods. So like when the NSA leaks came out and there was this about brief period of time where it was like, um, oh, like, you know, internet privacy is really important and we should really be concerned that, like, the United States is kind of being able to track everyone's, like, internet records and everything. But what I'm surprised about is, like, how much that conversation has sort of, like, died down in mm. the past few years. And at the same time, it's, like, when all these convenience technology products have kind of become, like, mainstream. So even things like, you know, we had, we did that episode um about strava and like be you know the the soldiers kind of running around military bases <laughs> strava doing radical praxis i recall yeah, giving yeah, yeah. giving like giving like locations of military bases to like the taliban and stuff like that right um but like that didn't really change much it didn't really kind of like you know people still use strava strava data is still like openly available it's still when you sign up for its terms of service like one of its terms of service is that, like, it can sell your data to any kind of Taliban. Like, yeah, well, it can sell to any third party. Like this company, that's probably the least nefarious organization. This new hot startup straight out of Pakistan, Tal dot Iban. What did you say? What did you see? What did you say you were making automatic? Was it automatic watches? Very yeah. cool. Mm. Um, we're, auto we're, we're automating the Mujahideen. Yeah, They're certainly ticking. But like one, you know, one of the big in biggest industries is still like counter terrorism and counter like counter intelligence. And as so much of so much of that is kind of going online, especially on the premise of like tackling kind of online extremism and stuff like that. 
what is like available is like so much like a huge amount of data that's available um for these companies to also make like a good amount of money selling that type of like data right so one thing to bear in mind is not is is isn't that like this isn't this isn't just like a consumer thing. This isn't just about like the types of technology that your bosses or your work kind of put you on. But it's also like changes what it means to be like a citizen. Uh, it changes what it means to kind of exist in kind of a society where, in theory, like a social contract is supposed to be like still established. But in the age, like in kind of this technological age where data is a commodity like it kind of undermines that whole notion of the social contract right and well that's where you get the have and have nots again so you have those people who are very data aware who are mm. using vpns who are hiding their data or at least they're aware that they are selling their data for mm. whatever its service it is that they have and the have nots who are generally older people who don't understand the how their data is being used or the people in sort of, who haven't had that technological education and that's where that real worry is so the people yeah. who know that they're flogging their for free email or whatever that thing is that's it's arguable as to whether that's okay or not but the the, the awareness is the thing that, that that is this most troubling thing yeah but on the other i almost i almost wonder right like if your only option is to get a is to get a job that's going to track your you know pupil movement and the only way you can really get nutrient slurry that you can afford <laughs> is to enter is to lock your your is to lock the api for your uh, or whatever it will be in the future for your pace for your paycheck into the API for, you know, hyper Amazon or whatever, um, then it doesn't matter how aware they are of, of their privacy. It, at, at that point, it becomes a foregone conclusion. But then you believe in the power of people, right? So if, if more than half of people want something, it will change. If you, you believe in the power of democracy, and I, I appreciate that that's a, you, you're looking at me as if I'm the most naive person who's ever been born. I get it. Right? But like, I do have a bridge to sell you. <laughs> but I, I still wholeheartedly believe in, in that. And I think, admittedly, this has been proven over history time and time and time and time again that people didn't think that things didn't, weren't going to happen, and then they did. But if people want stuff not to happen enough, it won't happen. The op most optimistic thing. I think here's, here's, here's what it is. I'll say, yes, I believe in the power of democracy. Economic democracy. <laughs> hey, and it's the, the IEA podcast, baby. <laughs> no, the, the economic democracy in terms of people having control over their workplaces and over their providers of their essential services. And yeah, they're non-essential services as well. It's about people rather than capital having the, at that control. And... The way to stop this isn't all of us deciding we don't want it. The way to stop it is all of us deciding we don't, is enough of us deciding we don't want it and then organizing to make sure it doesn't happen because, because it, the, the people who traditionally have, have, have fought and won, more importantly, have fought and won against capital have been, have been labor unions. They have been, it, it's been social movements. It has been, it's been these kinds of, of, of entities. And so... If you don't want, uh, if you don't want to have an algorithm decide what slurry you get at the end of the day based on how many bathroom breaks you take at your graphic design job, that's sort of organized like a warehouse, an Amazon warehouse. Mm -hmm. Join a fucking union. 
But here's the thing. I think, especially in this country where I've come to the conclusion that people are just fucking rubes of the highest order, is that all that happens when people get into the situation where, like, oh, suddenly, like, your nutrient, you know, grade slurry is determined by the effectiveness of your work hours. People don't... Their instinct isn't actually to unite against that. Their instinct is to, like, yeah, fuck the guy who's shirking his work. He should get the lower-grade nutrient slurry. I've been pushing the button very effectively today. Like... (laughs) Like, literally, like, look at the fucking European elections. Like, how many fucking people voted for the Brexit party? Like, honestly, like, literally a collection of just, like, fucking stuffed racism hams. And, like, and like they've seen, they've literally seen what the process of Brexit has been over the last two and a half years, which, regardless of whether you believe in it as a political product, project, right, brackets, you shouldn't, right, even if you do, it's just been a fucking disaster. Like, literally, it's been proven to be functionally impossible and yet i speak to someone like my brother who is like a reasonably intelligent person who says things like oh well the problem with brexit is is that we just haven't done it and if someone just did it it would be fine and i'm like but have you learned nothing has no one learned anything no one ever learns anything no one's ever gonna wake up to any of this until we've all been like turned into fucking soil and green everyone just wants to stick their dick in it okay (laughs) brexit brexit i want to fuck the nutrient slurry (laughs) brexit brexit is like one of those dick sucking machines and someone just needs to put their dick in it. The nutrient slurry is for reproduction only. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I think that about I think that about does us for today in this fine episode. Um, so, Alex, thank you very much for making your way down to the studio today. You are ever so welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, not to it's worry. Really fun. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, an and alarming pleasure. The future, and folks. It's not good. Not good, no. folks. Um, if you are in the Cambridge or north of London or North London or wherever really area on June the 15th, 15th, which we is are, a Saturday. We are doing a live show at Wolfson College. Um, it's free if you're a student at Wolfson College. Uh, so do that. And it's discounted if you're a student in general. Yeah. So um, come to that. But if you're a student of the blade. Yeah. If you're a student of the blade, then, <laughs> then no. If the you blade are a blade, is, the daywalker, no, then, it's also discounted. Then, then, no. If you're a student of the blade, then the blade is your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> what, what usher will stand before you? <laughs> um, so come out to that. Say hi. We'll probably be hanging out in exactly. some pubs afterwards. So, you know, come and chill with us. It's statistically likely, um, yes. And Hussein could talk your ear off about Gundams or whatever it is that yeah, he does. Yeah, it'll be fine. I want to talk to you about Evangelions and, like, their charge rate. Yeah, he'll talk to you about how to charge an Evangelion. <laughs> yeah. uh, how how many Gundams can dance on the head of a pin. <laughs> um, all the, how all many these... Gundams can dance on the head of a pin? It uh, depends. Are they Zaku? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends, like, 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 what version. Like, are they Gundam C? Is, it, Sh- or, like... is it Char Aznable? Because then, a lot... <laughs> I, I mean, mean, a lot of him. It takes a lot we can of Charles. Like Warhammer. Oh, I can talk about yeah, Warhammer. Yeah, you can talk a lot about Warhammer. Uh-huh. Yeah, it'll be really fun. It'll yeah, be like... fun. Come, 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 say hi. <laughs> come hang out. We'll talk about the nerd shit that we like. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, also we have new limited edition Trash Future shirts, which we started selling at the live show. I reckon we've got about uh, eighty left. Um, so if you would like one of those, they're twenty pounds. We'll probably do a discount for Patreon subscribers. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, send us a DM on Patreon and we'll hook you up. They'll probably be fifteen pounds for Patreon subscribers. Yeah, that sounds about right. If you yeah. subscribe to the Patreon, a shirt is fifteen pounds. Oh, also, you know what else we've never said? We've never advertised this publicly. If you're a ten dollar a month level contributor on Patreon, then you get free entry into any into most live shows that are that we do. So. Yeah. You know, consider upgrading your your subscription if you want to come free Upgrade to a live show. That bitch, upgrade your subscription to come free to a live show. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, we're not. We actually we physically have the shirts in the studio. So like the way it's going to work is you're going to have to pay us, and then we're going to have to send it to you. So I'm that's not how sure. a lot of transactions work. Yeah, but I mean, as in normally before we've just had like drop shipping where you can pay online. So it's going to be a little bit more like we'll probably have to send you like a PayPal link or something. But basically, j- send us a message if you would like one. We'll figure it out. Yeah, how to, we'll figure it out. Maybe you know what? When we get gettingyourdicksuck.com um all, alive and on the internet, Tom, start working. <laughs> Um, then we'll add like a store link or whatever and you can buy the shirts that way. But in yeah. the meantime, I don't know, just send us a message and then pay us money and then we'll send you a shirt. Yeah, that's how, how it's going to work. How's that, is that, that's how it's going to work. That's how our little, uh, this thing of ours. Yeah, send <laughs> us a little, uh, that Baroness Mom coin. Okay, hey, kick up the money to us. We kick down the shirts to you, no problem. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Later, everybody. Bye. Bye.